I'm Justine. And we are the Murder Sisters. <laughs> Sorry, it was like a lie. <laughs> We're recording over Zoom today. Yeah, I am so. a sick. You might hear it in my voice, but, um, you know, trying out this remote recording thing. Yeah, so, so the sound might be a little different and there might be like some things and then to address our last episode <laughs> I know we don't know what the heck happened yeah. um probably it was on my it week. was labeled properly and like I, we don't know what happened um so yeah, we apologize for that we got to blame it on technology yeah so if you guys have the um I believe was it episode 47 yeah yeah and the then we we disabled the incorrect one yeah um so so you might need to re-download the where it says corrected episode in all caps anyway Mm -hmm. sorry our excuses for the but we're here every other week and I think that's huge right um yes and all sick and all so um so today's case is what is it like a little over 34 years old now um, yeah something like that yeah and we're doing um it's a disappearance hasn't been solved that kind of thing um and this one is about Tara Lee Calico um I'm gonna kind of do the intro part a mm-hmm. little bit about her and then I'm gonna hand it off to Elisa so that's good we'll jump on and Uh, Tara Lee Calico was born on February 28th, 1969 in New Mexico, and she was one of six kids to parents Patty and David Calico. When Tara was, there's a lot of cases that have like just all these siblings and it sounds like so much fun. Um, (laughs) Tara was just a little girl. Her parents divorced and later her mom remarried to a man named John Dole. Tara moved with her mom and stepdad to the suburbs of New Mexico in a town called Berlin. I think it's called Berlin. That's how you pronounce it? Yeah. I I mean, it looks phonetically, yes. Okay. Where she grew up and was still actually living at the time of her disappearance. Tara loved the outdoors. And I'm using past tense just because, like, you know, it's been... Yeah. And this is how she was at the time type of thing. So, you know, don't look too into that. Tara loved the outdoors. She was athletic. She overall just had a really active lifestyle through high school and into college. While attending Boleyn High School, Tara played tennis. She was a member of her school band. She was in the President's Club. She was in the Friends Club. She was in the Ski Club. I know. And at one point she did a flag corps. I think that's where you like spin the flags and for the marching band. So very super active. And she also got great grades. Tara was popular and outgoing. She took really good care of her appearance. So it's like type A personality, I would say. She was very organized. And I read that every night she would plan her next day in a diary. And she was 19 at the time she went missing. So to me, that's just so responsible. Very organized. Very organized. That's what I was going to say. And very, very organized. After Tara graduated from high school, she started college at the University of New Mexico, where she studied psychology. She was really interested in just like, you know, people, how people work. And so that's what made her, what drew her to that, that area of study. 
-hmm. her first year, she kept a GPA of 3.9. So high school at university, getting a 3.9, you know, living an active life and doing everything, doing everything. (laughs) And it just shows how ambitious and driven and dedicated that she was to her future at just the young age of 19. Tara had a boyfriend named Jack Cole that she had dated since high school and they continued dating into college. They had a really fun relationship. Jack was able to keep up with her with all of her, you know, her active lifestyle. So they really like fit well together. They both enjoyed the outdoors and doing like all the things. So they were just a really great match. And in fact, the day Elisa will probably cover this too. Some there's going to be some <laughs> overlap with our with our info. But the day Tara went missing, she had a tennis date with Jack early in the afternoon before she had class at three thirty. So I'll go on to what led up to her disappearance. Okay. It was Tuesday, September twentieth, nineteen eighty eight. It was a beautiful day, and Tara was getting ready to go on a thirty. I read thirty four, thirty five, thirty six. Um, mile, <laughs> but I think Elisa, you found that it was 17 miles one way, one way, so that would so mean it would be 34. 34, yeah. She w- was getting ready to go on a 34 mile bike run along Highway 47. So, this is a bike ride that she did often and had actually gone many times with her mom, Patty, until Patty was basically like sick of getting catcalled on the trail and. I don't know what, at what point it turned. Maybe when, maybe if their town like became a little more populated, then the catcalling started. Not sure at what point this kind of started, but Patty decided to stop going with Tara. She was like, "I don't want to, you know." Yeah, be hollered at. And Tara, she was like, "I'm just gonna pop on my Walkman and just ignore it and just continue riding." She wasn't gonna let you know these creeps stop her from enjoying her ride. And Tara was early into her sophomore year at UNM at the, at this time. And, and she had the morning free and the early afternoon. So like I said, she wanted to do this long bike ride. Then she was going to play tennis with her boyfriend. And then she had class later Mm -hmm. afternoon. She left her house, which was 403 Brug Drive in Berlin, New Mexico, at 30 a.m. or around that time and headed through her neighborhood, which riding through the neighborhood would take like a couple minutes before she would then turn left, get to the highway and turn left to go to the highway. It wasn't a super busy highway and it's a really beautiful picturesque trail. So mm-hmm. it's not like when I imagine a highway, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. zooming by. It's not like cars are flying by Tara. She's riding in the bike lane. But it is, you know, a pretty narrow two lane road. And so that that's where, you know, the last of the kind of timeline before going missing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think this is a good point where I'm going to pass it on to Elisa. Okay. so like Justine mentioned, Tara went out for her typical 34 ish mile bike ride and she left around 930 on that Tuesday morning. And Tara had borrowed her mom's 12-speed neon pink Huffy mountain bike, nice. and it had yellow, like, accents on it because her own bike had a flat tire at that time. Justine also mentioned she took her Sony Walkman with her, and her typical route would take her from her home on Brug Drive 
in the community of Rio and Berlin, Mex- New Mexico, down New Mexico Route 47, where she would ride to the train tracks and then she would turn around and make that same ride back home. Something important to note is the fact that Tara's mom, Patty, just like Justine said, had recently stopped riding with Tara because she had feared that someone was like following them and catcalling at them. And she was just too, she was too scared to continue riding that route. However, Tara was not fearful at all. All of this, Justine said, but she did tell her mom to come looking for her if she didn't return home by noon. After not returning home at noon, as promised, Patty went out looking for Tara. Uh, She had no luck finding her. And around the time that Patty had returned home from her first round of searching, Tara's boyfriend, Jack, had called to confirm their tennis plans. And at that time, Patty informed him that Tara was missing, basically. So Jack and his friend Bernard Nixon had joined Patty and Tara's stepdad, John, in the search for Tara. The group headed out to search for Tara on her typical route down New Mexico, Route 47. And they had run into a group of three men who had been repairing, I guess, a fence post. And they spoke to them and the men said, yeah, we do remember seeing a girl that fits that description on a pink bike riding by. But that's kind of all the information they could give them. And they also went to Jake. J.F. Kennedy campground and spoke with three men in a dirty white or light gray truck. And they said that they hadn't seen Tara riding her bike. So they saw a group of men, three men that said they did see her, three men that said they hadn't seen her. So the next reported sighting of Tara came at 1145 a.m. that morning when she was spotted heading north on Highway 47, which would be on her return trip. Oh, about two. Yeah, about two miles from her home. Oh my God, very, very close. Yeah, yes. And a total of seven witnesses confirmed seeing her at this time. But after that, she was never confirmed to be seen again. Just on the highway was the last time that. Yeah, yeah, on her return trip. And these witnesses reported seeing a dirty white or light primer gray. It was either 1953, 55, or 56. Ford pickup truck, the year's different based on the witness, but they all agreed that it was this like white or light gray Ford pickup truck with a white handmade camper shell. And they said that this vehicle had been following Tara during her ride that morning. Um, Yeah, which is definitely suspicious, you know. It, especially that many people noticing that the car is actually following, following and nothing. Yeah. It's like, all right. Yeah. None of my business. And multiple witnesses confirmed that this vehicle was driving very slowly and it was staying about 40 feet behind Tara on her bicycle. And one witness by the name of Ishmael De La Rosa provided a, in my opinion, a pretty detailed description of the man driving the Ford pickup truck. And according to De La Rosa, the driver of the truck was a middle-aged Caucasian man with bright reddish-brown hair. And he also noted that the driver had pressed khaki shirts hanging in the back of the truck, similar to some... I know, like, this car must have been going very slow. Very slow, yeah. Um, And he said it was similar to what, like, somebody in law enforcement might wear, like a sheriff. Interesting. 
but like Keep a costume. Mind. Okay. All yeah. Right. I won't jump ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Although it cannot be confirmed whether this truck was actually connected to her abduction or not. It is something that I, I think is important to note. Witnesses also mentioned that Tara seemed completely oblivious, completely unaware of the fact that this truck was following her. And it her was Walkman, most, yes, most likely yeah. because she had her Walkman, her headphones on, and she was listening to a Boston cassette tape. So when Patty and the rest of the group searching for Tara returned home at around 3 p.m., Patty got on the phone and began calling local hospitals as well as the Valencia County Sheriff's Department. And within eight hours, Tara's information was entered into NCIC. So she was listed as like an, a missing person. Okay. Law enforcement had returned to the JFK campground with Patty and noted that while that truck with the three men that said they hadn't seen uh, Tara that morning, it was still at the parking lot, but it had moved into a different place. I don't know I don't know if that's important. Yeah, yeah. What? But police, family, and friends continued to search for Tara until 2 a.m. when their efforts were met with rain and wind and the conditions were just not good. Oh, no. And that came in around 8 p.m. that evening. So even after the rain and stuff, they were still searching as long as they could. Yeah, till 2 a.m. Um, yeah, as the search for Tara picked up the following day, Patty resumed. She was every day searching for her daughter, and she was the one that founded the Boston cassette tape in the mud oh. on the south, yeah, on the south shoulder of the New Mexico Highway 47, and it's on the opposite side of the highway from where Tara had lost, last been spotted, which oh, is wow. kind of weird. All right. So, she also could see two faint bike tracks indicating the bike was possibly dragged by someone hmm. and also recovered on September 21st during the multiple searches conducted were a small cracked plastic window belonging to a Sony Walkman, an old Milwaukee beer can and a piece of plastic that looked like a bike reflector. Oh. All of these things were located near the JFK campground. Okay. And Patty believed that Tara was discarding some of these items as like breadcrumbs. Oh, oh. I, I don't know about that, but you know, well, that campground, didn't they have like a white truck, but maybe not with a. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a white van or truck or oh, something. Okay. All right. But not the same as the white truck that was described. We, I mean, who knows? Yeah. I know personally, if somebody asked me to give a description of a vehicle that I saw this morning, I would, wouldn't be able to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, unless you're really, really paying attention and looking for it. Um, so well, people could have gotten driving like two miles per hour on the yeah. behind a girl. I guess. Yeah. So ground searches for Tara were continued for a week and a half, but air searches were called off due to the heavy storms in the area during that time. And the searches for Tara were extensive and included both county, local PD, state PD, military personnel, and hundreds of volunteers, wow. all of whom found nothing indicating the whereabouts of Tara. Crazy. Yeah. Another odd bit of information is the fact that Tara's bike has never been located. 
which to me indicates that someone possibly and most likely loaded it up and took it in a vehicle with her. Yeah. And especially like those drag marks of the tires, it was probably like just dragged and grabbed and, or through her and then grabbed the bike through that in just no trace of her. Mm hmm. So some like, I guess, suspects and critical information regarding or surrounding this case come from that man, De La Rosa that I had mentioned earlier that gave like the really detailed description of the driver. Mm-hmm. He had, like I said, spoken to Patty and the group searching for Tara about spotting her and the man that was driving the truck that followed Tara. With the um, he Yeah, he was the one that had spotted the work shirts and who gave the detailed description to the family of the man driving the truck. He actually had reached out to Valencia County Sheriff's Department to speak to an officer regarding his sighting of Tara after he found out she was missing. Oh. And he was put in contact with Captain Ray Flores. And apparently Captain Ray Flores was reluctant to speak with De La Rosa, but eventually agreed to take a statement and while under like I guess he I don't know how accurate this is but it said yeah. while under hypnosis oh. De La Rosa had picked a man out of a photo photo lineup Interesting. so yeah but after picking this person out of a photo lined up photo lineup De La Rosa was supposed to meet with Captain Ray Flores the following day to like you know get more information uh, but Captain Ray Flores would not get in contact with De La Rosa again until July of 1989. Wow. Yeah. So, and when, all about? I don't know. Yes. I may talk about it. Oh, <laughs> when, Captain, <laughs> when Captain Ray Flores called De La Rosa to ask for his help in completing a co- composite sketch of the man that he had seen driving the Ford truck on the day day that just Tara disappeared so like that's what he eventually contacted him for okay and then a month after that in August of 1989 the sketch of the man that was seen by De La Rosa was finally released and just like De La Rosa had said before initially and all along the sketch was a Caucasian man between 35 and 40 he said he was five nine and six feet in height, and then it said like one ninety to two hundred pounds, with reddish brown hair, blue or hazel eyes, with two deep wrinkles between the eyes and temple. <laughs> so let me just say, what there is, I don't care how slow this man was driving. Uh, I would not be able to tell. I mean, unless I this guy has twenty twenty vision, and it was like at a complete stop. Yeah. And How are you going to see sparkling eye color? Yeah. I think a lot of this is guessing. They're saying like, based on the fact that he's Caucasian and has reddish yeah, hair. You're right. His eyes are probably blue probably. or hazel. They're probably. Yeah. Or they could be green. Or yeah, brown. It's, or brown. I think, <laughs> you know, it's a little, it's like. Yeah, that's weird. And I don't it's a little know. much. Uh-huh. Uh, at the time the composite was released, the truck seen by De La Rosa would, was described as having a camper shell and bearing a new Mexico license plate, starting with WBY or WBZ. So that's another and, thing you noticed. And six as the last digit. What? I. This seems. I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know what to think of that. Yeah. While Dave LaRosa was giving the description of the man he had seen following Tara, he had mentioned that his friend Jack Aguayo's grandson named JJ, who also goes by JJ Hampton, was hunting in the area that day with friends. And they had also seen Tara riding by them at some point during that morning. Mm-hmm. And the friend of De La Rosa, Jack, he also confided in De La Rosa about the fact that he had suspicions that his grandson, JJ, and his friend, Paul Zeller, among other, like, and a few other people may have been involved in Tara's disappearance. Oh. And potentially had access to a truck similar to the one reported as following Tara. And Jack further stated that his grandson and his grandson's friends were heavily involved in drugs. Upon learning this new information, police met and interviewed both JJ and JJ's friend, Paul. And those two had inconsistencies with their accounts of the day, specifically with Paul. He said Paul didn't recall JJ shooting at a quality home sign along Route 47 that day and said he didn't recall seeing Tara, but JJ confirmed that he shot at that sign and that he did see Tara riding her bike on Route 47. And they were supposed to be together? They were together, yeah. At a later date, a woman involved with JJ said that he told her he felt bad about Tara, but he couldn't do anything because the sheriff's son, Lawrence Romero Jr., was involved. Oh, so Lawrence Romero Sr. had successfully run for sheriff in 1974, and he and Ray Flores led Tara's missing persons investigation. Interesting. Okay. So his son, Romero Jr., the same age as Tara, was also known to be a drug user and sometimes a drug dealer. Okay. But being a drug dealer and user doesn't mean... Doesn't make you, yeah, a murderer. But still, they had also there had also been rumors going around town that Romero Jr. had asked Tara out, but that she turned him down. Oh, okay. I don't know. I go <gasps> how yes. accurate or yeah. if that even matters. <laughs> um, in 1991, Romero Jr. died as either a result of an intentional suicide or from oh. a game of Russian roulette. So oh. terribly wrong. Wait, and that's the yeah. son of the sheriff. sheriff? Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And the sheriff, Romero Sr., claimed that it was homicide. So okay. I, there was some weird stuff going on, for yeah. sure. Sounds like it. And this may explain why no one was interested in speaking with De La Rosa for so long and why no one had contacted him to do a follow-up years later. Because mm-hmm. if the sheriff's son did have something to do with it, you know, it wouldn't go anywhere because the sheriff. Yeah. You have to protect your son. Yeah. Yeah. And his dad was one of the ones leading the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So during the search for Tara, there had been, and I'm only going to bring this up very briefly because it is so prevalent when you do any search on this case. So during the search, (laughs) during the search for Tara, there had been a Polaroid picture found in a parking lot in Port St. Joe, Port, Port St. Joe, Florida. Um, And the picture depicted a young woman and a boy that were bound and had tape over their mouths. 
it was this picture was included in an episode of a current affair and someone close to Tara's family saw the picture and alerted her family to the oh, fact that it looked like Tara. That's how it all started. Like, yeah. Like and then another family of the boy saw it and thought it was their son named Michael Henley, who went missing a few months before Tara on April 21st, 1988. Sorry. Yeah. In the Zuni mountains of New Mexico while camping with his family. Okay. So they're both from New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's like grasping at straws a bit. Yeah. But Michael's body was actually later found in 1990, a few miles from where he had been camping. They uh, believe that he just got lost and succumbed awesome. to the elements. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we know that the boy is not who people thought it was. Mm-hmm. And it was later confirmed that the girl in the picture was not Tara. Yeah. So, and they weren't even, I don't know. I briefly looked into this because I was like, I'm sick of seeing this Polaroid pop up every time I'm like trying to research stuff. Tara. Uh-huh. And I read somewhere that it was, they weren't, it was kind of like a joke picture. Like they weren't even, they're, these people or these kids are not like being held at their will. It was like, I don't know. Um, sorry. There were also like subsequent photos after that. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to dive into that. So there have been multiple developments in the case in the last like 30 years since Tara vanished. Patty and John Dole had told their story on uh, America's Most Wanted, Unsolved Mysteries, and I think Oprah, uh, news outlets, they mailed out flyers, they contacted you know hundreds of law enforcement agencies and even enter entertain tips by like psychics yeah and the hopes to just get any information about what happened to tara or where tara was mm-hmm. and uh 15 years after tara vanished patty and john actually ended up moving to port charlotte florida in november of 2003 and Patty passed away on May 11th, 2006, at the age of 64, never oh. knowing where her daughter is, That's what not. happened to her daughter. Mm-hmm. It could have been, str- I don't, it, yeah, you know, it could, so that true. takes a toll yeah. on your body oh, yeah. and your heart and, yep. you know, and Tara's biological father, David Calico, passed away in 2002. So the only person I mean she has her siblings but the only like parent mm-hmm. left is her stepdad yeah. Tara's case was actually reopened in October of 2013 after there was a cold case task task force created to solve like cold cases in that area mm-hmm. and a report was taken by this task force from a former Sia County Sheriff's deputy named Frank Mathola Detailing a deathbed confession years earlier by a man named Henry Brown, who Mm -hmm. claimed to have information about Tara's case. In the 2013 report, Frank told authorities that Henry Brown wanted wanted to, quote unquote, get something off his chest and make sure he did everything he could to help authorities find Tara. And he revealed to this neighbor, Lawrence that Lawrence Romero Jr. So that name is coming up again, the sheriff's son. Oh, that's the sheriff's son. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
had shown him a makeshift basement under his mobile home where he thought he spotted a shallow grave with a human body wrapped in a blue tarp. Whoa. He continued on saying that Romero Jr. and several of Romero Jr.'s friends had actually discussed killing Tara. What specifically? Oh, like after the fact, not like (laughs) yeah, like after. (gasps) Yeah. So allegedly, Romero Jr., a man named David Silva, another man named Leroy Chavez, and an unnamed redheaded man. Oh, there's the redhead. Yeah. We're in a pickup truck when they spotted Tara riding along on her bicycle. They hit her with the truck, abducted her, and raped her. And Tara had then threatened to go to the police. And at that time, Romero Jr. had stabbed her to death while the other men held her down. They then disposed of her body in a pond near the redheaded man's house and dumped her bike in a junkyard. So as I mentioned before, and multiple times, Romero Jr. was the Valencia County Sheriff, Lawrence Romero, son. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And according to Henry Brown, he said that his Romero Jr.'s dad, the sheriff, had actually helped him cover it up. Oh. And was that? To protect him. So that's one I guess, confession that came about years later. And then in 2018, the FBI and Valencia County Sheriff's, the Sheriff's Office released a new theory about what happened to Tara. And according to them, two informants provided information regarding what had happened to her. And as a result of that new information, they were looking for two individuals that were said to still be alive. And the new theory stated that that two men were who were teenagers at the time of Tara's disappearance had attacked her and killed her when their pickup truck ran into her while she was riding her bike. Like an accident? I, I we don't know. Oh, okay. And the they also part of this is that like two other individuals may have helped the boys hide the evidence. Okay. And just like in the theory about Lawrence Jr., where his dad supposedly helped him cover up. It is believed that these unnamed boys also had help from their parents when covering up the death of Tara. So it's unknown if the incident was an accident or intentional. Um, And, you know, nice parents that are, it sounds like a whole bunch of rumors. I, yeah. 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 It's like, I don't know. Yeah. And then later in 2019, the FBI offered a $20,000 reward for any information leading to Tara's whereabouts. And then in 2021, the Valencia County Sheriff's Office released a statement along with the New Mexico State Police stating that there was a new lead in the case wow. and that a warrant had been issued for an unknown residence that was located within the county that Tara had gone missing. Whoa. So that but, kind of is where it's wow. Oh, left. so okay. it's back to being like pretty active. And just in 2021, they had basically they have a suspect that they're yeah, which leads me to believe that this the rumors surrounding the sheriff's son are just that because, yeah, he, because he's got he's dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I think probably the sheriff's son was probably targeted somehow because he was known a known drug user and then the sheriffs weren't like yeah sheriff's office wasn't yeah. like interested in talking to that witness at but it could just have been because they didn't think that witness was very credible yeah I, I was mean, kind of thinking that at, too. it's so odd to me that like he somehow magically came up with the first three letters of the license plate and the last yeah. letter so let riddle me this mm -hmm. how can you be able to see like the man's so I'm assuming they're driving right yeah yeah how are you gonna see that this man has wrinkles between his eyes yeah that's weird he has red hair he has blue or green or blue or hazel eyes he you his know height, was, his weight his height his weight the color of his vehicle the and make and model of his vehicle, shirts hanging up, and also the license plate. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, it just seems like really weird. It's like and he I don't know to interject himself into the. You know how people do that. Yeah, you know. And I don't know if the license plate information came about after he had spoken to his friend Jack, who said that he thought his grandson JJ was somehow oh. involved. Oh. You know who knows? He may yeah. have just taken the license plate off the yeah, vehicle. Right. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so that's what I was kind of thinking too. I'm like, that's a little weird how it kind of circled back to like, it's not like he's just driving down the street and then it's like, Oh, I saw this guy. It's like, Oh, and then he talked to his friend who thought it was, you know, that just, the, yeah. Yeah. The it's really strange. Yeah. Uh, well, that was good job telling that. Lots of care. Thank you. There was, yeah, a lot of, and it's a lot of rumors and a lot of misinformation. Mm -hmm. So it's like, even though there's a lot of information that we shared, it's like all of it could be just rumors. Yeah. But it, it's not accurate. It's good um, to know that they re that they're like actively trying I, to do something. Yeah. I would love to know where they, the case stands right now and if they've, arrested this person or if he's on if they're trying to find him and it's really like they have no evidence of anything that so it's like of. yeah well that's true so you're gonna have to basically go off of somebody feeling guilty and confessing or they might have withheld evidence from the public knowing you know sometimes they yeah that's true that. maybe maybe that would be good because then they would have evidence enough evidence hopefully to prosecute and convict yeah it's just pretty crazy I think it's pretty safe to say that she probably was killed on the day that she was abducted uh, and taken somewhere along with her yeah. bike yeah who knows somebody may have accidentally hit her and then freaked out yeah that's true somebody may have hit her on purpose to you know yeah like knock her off her bike and scoop her up yeah yep because that's happened before that's a case yeah 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 hawaii all right well so, thanks alisa another depressing unsolved case <laughs> <laughs> but i'm gonna be yeah following this and hopefully we'll have answers uh, yeah and if there's an update on anything we'll will update and yeah so follow us on instagram some of you have 
Thank you. Some of you oh, yeah. Some of you have not. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Murder Sisters POD, our Instagram. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then if you have any case ideas or if yeah. you have any information on the cases we've covered or any thoughts, please email us at murder sisters pod at gmail.com. That's it. Murder <laughs> at gmail.com. Did I not say dot com? You did the first time, but you know how we do it twice. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Usually we don't stare at each other because we're sitting yeah. next to each other. So it's a little weird. You could have done no cam, but you know. But then that's even weirder. Uh, it is. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, and stay tuned for share our podcast with people. Yes. All right. Okay. Thanks. So, Thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.